Hi and welcome everybody. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it is our privilege to have with us George Beatty who is a hazardous, hazardous materials specialist at the Fire Department of New York. George, great to have you with us again. It's great to be back. It's been nearly a whole year and it was just at the start of COVID that we spoke um, regarding your role and you were just telling me that you're coming home and washing your clothes and your wife had got COVID and it was all very new at that time. So it was nearly a year ago. Yeah, actually, it's about this time uh, last year that I was coming out of the COVID. Um, I, I luckily only had a very uh, light case of it, if you will. Um, I am somebody who somehow naturally doesn't get sick very often. And when I do get sick, I don't get very sick. Uh, I was only sick with COVID for about five days. It was far from the, the worst sick I've ever been in my life. My wife was a little bit worse, but generally the two of us got through it without uh, too much fanfare and uh, uh, nothing serious. Thank goodness. Oh, that's really good. And so when we were speaking last time, you're talking about your role and some of the dangerous, hazardous things that you have to deal with. And during COVID, how have things changed regarding the way that you do your role? What's the impact been? Well, truthfully, uh, I thought about this for about the last week or so. Uh, my role directly related to uh, COVID itself uh, really wasn't affected. Uh, mostly the things that we, we do are not medically related uh, to anyone in particular. Um, the, the impact for the New York City Fire Department uh, as a whole was more the EMS side, the paramedics and the, uh, the EMTs, and of course the, uh, the medical responses that are also done by the fire side are done by the engine companies. Uh, we all have a certain amount of medical training, but depending on our particular role on our particular company, uh, that determines whether or not we have a, a, uh, you know, an impact uh, with the, the medical side of the job, if you will. Uh, I don't deal directly with, uh, with what we call CFRD runs, which are, are medically related runs. Uh, the engine companies respond uh, to kind of take up the time between the time a medical uh, call is made and the time that an ambulance can, can get there because there aren't nearly as many ambulances as there are fire engines. Right. So that's how our, our command structure in that manner is set up to kind of make us a stopgap. Um, but as far as what I do in Hazmat One, uh, I do not have that uh, responsibility. I do have the responsibility to be medically trained. Uh, but as far as COVID goes, uh, that did not really impact me. Uh, because we don't normally have that responsibility anyway. Uh, the one, the other thing I will say is that generally uh, my job got a little bit quieter during COVID because most people were home. So a lot of the bread and butter uh, jobs that we do, uh, cleaning up, uh, you know, hydrocarbons on the road, dealing with car accidents, and a lot of those things uh, just went away because people weren't out driving. And there wasn't a lot going on because there wasn't a lot of traffic. There wasn't a lot of uh, movement. So the, uh, uh, the responsibilities for that sort of thing literally just lightened up a lot. And how did you, you and your organization and your colleagues use that time when things were quieter? Was it a time for training or how was that used? 
Well, we generally use our downtime for for training anyway. Uh, you know, we have kind of we have two kinds of days that we that we go with. Uh, one where we don't have a lot that's pulling us out the door to do anything on the street, and other days where we can be out on the rig all day, just going from run to run to run. It's it's a it's an interesting uh, uh, way that that things work with uh, with my company. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of uh, we did a lot of of creation of uh, I want to call it online content, but they created a, uh, um, a way for us to do a lot of training without going anywhere. And the going forward, they're, they're, uh, continuing with that to a certain degree, obviously with the way that, that our job works, you can only do so much, uh, theoretical training without actually putting your hands on things at mm. a certain point, you have to go out and you have to do that, uh, you know, because it's a very hands-on uh, type of job. Um, but we did, we did as much, uh, as much training as we normally do. We just had some days we had more time to do it uh, because we weren't being called to do as many things as we were once upon a time before COVID started. And we're starting to get back to that in the last few months now, because life is returning to a certain degree. The traffic is back. Uh, not real happy about that, but that brought, uh, you know, that brought a lot of the normal, uh, the normal things back for, work for us so life is somewhat returning to normal what are some of those changes or impacts that you've seen in the last year in emergency management particularly in new york which weren't there before that you've had to deal with well it's an interesting thing there there as far as as managing anything i am on the bottom of that food chain um since i am technically my title is firefighter uh in terms of rank so I'm at the bottom. Um, the the command structure hasn't hasn't changed, and obviously in the New York City Fire Department, command structure is enormous, and that's because we have a total of somewhere around fifteen or sixteen thousand people in one facet or another wow. that are employed by the fire department. Uh, and in that case, there are a lot of pieces of the command structure that I'll never come in contact with because I don't have to. I know that in in most places there are people that wear many hats. Um, that have a lot of responsibilities that I'll never see because we have the luxury of having, I got somebody that does that. I got somebody that does, you know, things that I'll never see, uh, that I'll never have to deal with. Um, I don't think that any of that particularly changed, but uh, the mindset about uh, how we approach certain problems uh, and how we approach certain types of runs uh, may have uh, gotten a lot of uh, a lot of looking and a lot of evaluating. Uh, one of the other interesting thing that's, things that's come up in the last um, probably month or so is we're now talking about Ebola again. Uh, we have apparently wow. a resurgence of that going on, and they are now concerned about that making its way back to New York. And that had an impact years back when uh, when that uh, I think the first guy was uh, somebody who was. Somewhere in Brooklyn, and we had a number of cases that showed up, and they were very, very worried for a while that that was going to be was going to be pretty big. And luckily, it didn't turn out to do that, and it kind of went along its way, and it, and it fizzled out. And now, all of a sudden, we're hearing about it again. Uh, nothing serious has happened yet, but they're starting to talk about it as it might do that. And my role with that uh, generally is dealing with decontamination of. Uh, of our own members. Uh, mm. When we do, when, when those things show up, we have another section of, of the, the hazmat portion of the New York City Fire Department who deals with that. 
for the most part, we don't get tasked with anything directly related to that so much as we get tasked with taking care of our own members if there's an issue. Is this something that's already in New York or has appeared in New York? Um, the Ebola? Yes. Yeah, it has not come back uh, as far as I know. Uh, but I think what they're talking about is they're seeing a resurgence of it in places in Africa where it came from, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, since the cases start rising there, I think they start worrying about the fact that it might come back uh, right. because it's obviously done that before. So, but we haven't seen any of it yet so far that I'm aware of. They've just started, uh, you know, saying this might become an issue because it's now, uh, you know, resurging somewhere else. Uh, and New York is a hub for the planet for, you know, people from everywhere. So they, they're kind mm. of just, I think, being overly cautious at the moment. What sort of preparations then is, is the city putting in place for that possibility? Uh, mostly they want to keep everybody in tip-top shape in terms of what kind of uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, that we're going to use, uh, the procedures, uh, you know, who deals with what, whose responsibilities are, are you know, related to this. Uh, like I said, it doesn't particularly change what I do, um, but the, the the technician engines who are the ones who go to assist EMS with this sort of thing and the uh, what they call Haztec paramedics uh, who may also be involved with that, uh, they basically want to make sure that everybody brushes up. They know about, uh, you know, what uh, PPE they'll be using, uh, what hospitals they'll be going to because they have specif uh, specific places that they want to send people who are suspected of having Ebola. And in general, uh, you know, just to make sure everybody's ready, you know, it's a, mm. that's, that's like kind of a number one thing with what we do. It's a constant state of readiness and waiting for something to happen. And they want to make sure when that does that we're ready to attack it properly. You've mentioned about um, a new way of learning uh, being implemented over this last year for you so that you can continue training and sharing information. Obviously that's something that technology assists are there other areas in your in your organization where technology has had an impact or changed in the last year? Uh, the LMS system, which is the the uh, what they call online learning, is probably the biggest one. Um, in my specific arena, uh, we have a a good uh, connection to uh, some technological things that help us when we're we're out doing our job. Uh, the, there is a position, a riding position uh, on, on our rig. It's called resource. And that person for whatever tour is tasked with being able to supply the rest of the company and anybody on scene with whatever resource information we need. And they have a combination of, uh, you know, we have satellite internet on our, on our rig. We have the ability to uh, to look up anything that we need to. And we have, uh, you know, lists of resources and places we can call to find out whatever information we need to make sure that we, you know, render the hazard safe. And those are kind of a constantly moving thing. I don't think COVID in particular had a, a, a tremendous effect on those or, you know, nothing really changed, but we're constantly on top of trying to make our resources as keen as possible and, and, you know, keep them sharp so that it helps us to, you know, to do our job as effectively as possible. And, you know, like computer technology and like all of the other, like, you know, like we're doing right now, uh, you know, the video uh, online stuff is, is a, uh, it's a tremendous help at some point, um, depending on what we're doing. 
And that's a constantly moving and a constantly improving process. So we try and stay on top of that as, as much as possible because the, you know, we're as good as our resources are. So if we have really good resources, hopefully we can, you know, continue to, you know, perform our job properly and be as safe as possible. And that really helps. Indeed. Before we went live, we were just chatting about areas where research could be done in your organization and your role in an emergency management and um, that, that synergy between the operational side, which you do, uh, which is incredibly important in academia, which is my side. How can the two come together? We can research really make a difference, do you think? Where are some of those, those pain points or opportunities to develop some innovation well, we do a thing in my company called the Hazmat Huddle. And the Hazmat Huddle is where everybody who was working in the company that day, we will all get together and put our heads together and throw out anything we can think of to try and help solve whatever problem we're faced with. Uh, and in general, uh, we huddle together the entire company as a whole uh, to, uh, to look forward to help to push us down the road to a better place every day, uh, which hopefully is, uh, you know, is something as an entire job uh, that everybody does that. Um, in general, the, the, the way normal fire companies work is not quite that same, that same way. Um, and again, like I said, I don't think that, that the command structure has changed too much, but the way that information is being disseminated to all of, uh, to all of the, the guys on the job uh, has definitely changed. Uh, we have a lot more information that's coming over the, the jobs computer system. Uh, we have a, a computer that's in every firehouse that allows you access to something called diamond plate. And it is information that the fire department as a whole will present to all of the members and you can access it at any time. And there has been obviously a huge increase in some of the things uh, that the job has put out there versus going to do live training. Uh, last year, in in the uh, the wake of COVID, the the what we call refresher training, which is is stuff that we just stay on top of as a you know as a job, uh, was not done very much as uh, a live training as much as it was done virtually uh, with you know both pre-recorded presentations and and other things that were not done in person for obvious reasons. And we're starting to get back to the live training at this point because there's certain things that we have to do every year to uh, to be uh, certified to continue to do what we do. You know, like getting into uh, individual pieces of PPE. You have to get into a level A every year. You have to get into a, a lion suit every year. You have to be able to show that you're continue to be uh, uh, to be able to do this stuff so that when the time comes, you can do this out on the street and you can be protected. And last year with a very little exception, uh, that stuff was not done uh, because of of COVID. So mm. now uh, we're getting back to you know stuff being done in person and having to be done the old-fashioned way. But we're not getting rid of the the LMS, the online stuff, because they've figured out that it's a really good way to get a lot more information, even if it isn't specific refresher training. It could be anything. Uh, to get it out to the masses. And it's very efficient. And it's, I guess, logistically, it's, uh, in some ways, it's a lot easier than, than doing it the old fashioned way. So we're moving along with technology, as it were. Is the hazmat huddle 
like doctors would do the the M and M session where they sit around without blame and discuss and and dissect everything that uh, maybe there's a problem or an issue and they brainstorm possible solutions. Is it like that? Is it? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It's a, it's a brainstorming um, because you have people come, who come from all different walks of life, uh, mm. who come from different backgrounds, who have different capabilities, and they you know we all see problems from different perspectives. And the idea behind it is probably the exact same thing as it is with the doctor or with anybody else who's brainstorming is that you're going to have eight different points of view. And in order to fix a problem, not maybe not anybody has the particular solution. Maybe in the group, one person has the particular solution. So everybody gets together and there's no, uh, you know, worrying about, yeah, this guy got here two weeks ago and I've been there nine years. Uh, there's no saying that I'm going to be the one who has the right answer. It's possible that the guy who isn't clouded by everything I know uh, has the obvious answer because I have a tendency to overthink things sometimes. And that's exactly why we do it. And that's something you have to teach the new guys that come in and say, you need to speak up and say what you see. It might not be the answer, but it might be the answer. And that's exactly why we do that. And we, we tell them from the moment they walk through the door that you absolutely have to be good with presenting anything that comes into your mind. Nobody's going to give you a hard time about it because we have one goal and the goal is to efficiently, effectively, and safely solve the problem, whatever it is. And that guy might have the answer. You never know. That's great, George. And what about that, the hazmat huddle that you do? How does that move into training or knowledge for the wider organization? Is there a place in the LMS where you record these conversations? No, these are all these are all usually done on scene. These are done when we get somewhere or if we are training in our our conference room in our firehouse. Uh, it's it's all done on the spot because, uh, you know, as you know, when we go out the door, whatever we're going to be presented with, it's always something different. Even if it's a regular, normal run that we go on, every single one of them is, is, has got its quirks and they're all different. So if we run into an issue there, uh, we don't know what it is until we get there. Uh, hmm. We always go back and review what we've done. You know, we hot wash stuff, if you will, uh, you know, maybe on scene, maybe we do it down the road. A lot of times if we come across even anything out of the ordinary, we'll talk about it uh, as we go further through the week or down the road. Uh, every time we get to a change of tours, the, the officer might talk about it. Uh, you know, one of the one of us might bring it up and say, hey, listen, this is what we came across. And this was kind of an oddball problem. So here's how we solved it. This is why. Uh, you know, bring out all of the all the details about it if we can. But the hazmat huddle, as it were, is kind of a thing that we just use within our company. Um, but stuff that comes out of that, that does solve the problems or doesn't solve the problems, good or bad, uh, we can take that and we can pass it along to uh, not only to the rest of the job, but to our training division so that it makes mm. it into the the training that goes down the road to say, Hey, listen, we came across something that was a little out of the ordinary. And this is a good thing to keep in mind if you can. And, you know, it reinforces, uh, you know, maybe training points, good or bad. Uh, and all of that, we try to incorporate as much as possible because that way we get better as time goes on. How does that happen when you pass on, do you pass on that information up the chain? What's that process? That, uh, we have a good relationship. My my uh, my part of the fire department is is a specific battalion. It's called the Hazmat Battalion, and it incorporates uh, five companies. And we have our own 
uh, our own battalion chiefs that are just associated with hazmat. So we can, we can pass things along through our officer up the chain of command. My captain or one of my lieutenants can contact our, our chief, our battalion chief, and it can, uh, you know, any information that's really pertinent can go from there through our deputy chief. And then that goes back to the special operations chief who covers all of the special operations in the department. Uh, and we have a good working relationship with all of them as we should. So information that, that necessarily needs to make it to the rest of the job or anywhere in particular, uh, it isn't very hard to get it, to get it moving along pretty quickly. It's a matter of phone calls. Right. Okay. George, I do want to thank you for giving us your time. I know you're very busy and, um, I do want to thank you for your service there in New York and what you do every day. It's very, very important. And since I've lived um, in a number of countries over the last couple of years, I know how important the first responders are. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Look, I appreciate your time. And um, just one thing before we finish up, George, if someone was interested in get into getting into your role and having a, a job similar to yours, what would be some experiences you might encourage them to have if they're looking to do this as a career, what you do? Well, I don't know how things work where you are, but in the United States, uh, uh, most of the fire departments and emergency services are volunteer. Uh, so they are not, uh, they're not paid positions. They're, you know, in the place where I live, actually, I'm about 80 miles outside of New York City. And all of the, most of the fire departments around me are, are basically, you do it for free, you do it for fun. Uh, there's a lot of training to be had. There's a lot of, uh, of other good things that can come out of it. But um, those places are always looking for, for new volunteers. They always need people. They're never staffed as far as they should be. Um, and uh, my suggestion would be contact your local fire department and find out what it takes to join. It's usually not a difficult process. Uh, when I, when I joined my the volunteer fire department that I started in when I was in college, um, I, I made a phone call and I said, how do I, how do I get involved? And they said, well, we're going to have a, a, a company meeting and you can come and meet the captain or meet the chief and go from there. And it's literally that easy. And you, you go down there and you'll find out that, that there's a lot of your neighbors and a lot of people, you know, uh, and people who give their time because they have the time to give. And I did that before I did this professionally. If I did this as a volunteer and professionally together, it would be a little mush at this point, but I'll probably go back to it uh, once I'm retired. Uh, Cause you know, like I told you the last time I spoke to you, this is not something I do. This is really who I am. Uh, right. so it's, it's kind of something that's in, that's inane in me. It's not a, you know, it's not, I just picked this up and said, yeah, this is going to be a fun job. It is a fun job, but this is, this is more about who I am. Um, but yeah, it, it's as easy as, as looking to see who provides fire protection where you are. Uh, or if you live near a large city, like I do, uh, look and see, you know, the, the internet has all of this stuff on it. Um, you know, when I first got on with, uh, when I first started being a volunteer it was before the internet existed. So I had to actually go knock on a door or make a phone call and find somebody who had a phone number for me. It really was. It's that, that sounds silly, but that's really the case. I am that old at this point. So, uh, but it's not hard to, to, to Google something and, and see, uh, you know, mm. where they are, or who to contact, or you can simply go knock on the firehouse door and, and you, it's as easy to start as that. Awesome. Great advice. Well, George Beatty, Hazardous Materials Specialist for the Fire Department in New York. Thank you so much for your time and you have a great day. Thank you very much for having me again. It's good to see you. I appreciate it.